Welcome to In the Know by Diane Schindler. This is Diane Schindler speaking. I'm the host of In the Know, the podcast show. I'm an author, a presenter, a solo nomad, a travel blogger, and a photographer. So this podcast show includes writing tips, travel tips, and my views of life from savvy and thoughtful to quirky and humorous. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to In the Know. We have a very special guest today. I met her at the Villages last month when I presented on podcasting. She's the treasurer, by the way, of the Villages Writers Group. Her name is Dr. Kino Walters, otherwise known as Phyllis. She's a retired clinical forensic psychologist from Ohio, my stomping grounds. And she was in private practice for over 40 years. She taught psychology classes at Sinclair Community College and at the University of Dayton. She's married and enjoys being a wife, a mother, a yaya, a great-grandmother, and a friend to many. She and her husband have been on seven mission trips and are actively involved at Fairway Christian Church in the villages of Florida. You're going to hear her talk today about her novel, Christian Slayings, which is based on a true story. you also hear her talk about other nonfiction books that she's written. She's um, a published author of Christian inspirational books, and she's ready to launch a new crime romance novel. You know, you will hear that she she wrote her novel in six months, and she's written these other books, these other nonfiction books in six months. I know that you will enjoy this wonderful interview with Phyllis Keenel Walters. Welcome to the show, Phyllis. I'm so glad you are here today. I'm just great. How are you? I'm really good. I'm really glad that we're finally able to get together for this interview today. So we're going to start by my asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, you've kind of uh, touched base on on many aspects of my life. Um, One aspect is that I was raised in Toledo, Ohio, and I was a Greek girl uh, surrounded by the Greek community. And then uh, after college, I went and um, moved to Dayton, Ohio, where I began my career in psychology and in forensic psychology. In Toledo, I was a gym teacher at first because, you know, back then you became a teacher, a secretary, or a nurse, and those were the recommended options for girls. After listening to them in the locker room express their concerns, I went back to graduate school and became a counselor. So it just proceeded from one opportunity to another that I would never have dreamed of as a a young late teen entering my freshman year at the university. So in the Dayton area, my greatest niche was just the upper middle class, fairly well educated, private practice clients, but my small niche was in the area of court-appointed work, which we called forensic psychology. Where did you go to graduate school? University of Toledo. Okay, I'm sorry for interrupting. I wanted to tell you, you know, I grew up in Hamilton, Ohio. I have family and friends in Dayton, and I'm very familiar with the staff at Sinclair Community College. Let's take a moment to digress. When were you at Sinclair? 
1970. It was um, the the year prior to the opening of their new campus and the first year of their new campus in downtown Dayton. It was, it's just a wonderful school. And then I became an adjunct professor or uh, instructor at the University of Dayton, where I taught all kinds of undergraduate psychology classes. And I was the only non-priest teaching marriage and family. And oh. so my marriage class was popular to the, to the kids. And then um, I mixed that nicely with my private practice. But the opportunities to be a forensic psychologist were different then. It had to do with whether you were willing to take a certain amount of risks and whereas now there would be extensive postgraduate training focused strictly in the forensic realm I'm sure but back then that isn't how it, it was a matter of people would call upon you if they trusted you and you were a psychologist and and had an educational background and then they would have you court appointed to evaluate a a client or a defendant in murder cases or in criminal cases and then you would go to the uh, prison and you would evaluate the client that their client your and then the defendant and then prepare a report for the court that everyone saw so that's the way the forensic world worked um, if it was family court then you were again you were court appointed but you're in the private sector of course court appointed and you evaluated parents as to the who would be the parent that would be best be construed to put the best interest of the child or children ahead of their own needs and would foster a positive relationship with the other parent. So more of my work was in family court than in criminal court, actually. Yes, I launched this novel a month before Christmas. And this protagonist or in the book that I wrote about primarily has been on my heart since 1993. Uh, six, six days before Christmas of 1992, this small gang uh, murdered randomly, basically, four of the six, six murders in the week before Christmas. And this particular woman that was with them, she was 20 at the time, and she didn't shoot anybody, but she was with them. And she received the same sentence as one of the shooters and um, was, and is, as we speak, is still serving a life sentence in Marysville, Ohio. So she was on my heart because she had been an abused child. She was a runaway. She had a huge history leading up to the fact that she allowed this group to befriend her. She had no friends and then got caught up in this frenzy that where they, they were killing people for drug money, basically. I am the only contact she has today, I believe, with the outside world. And we write emails back and forth to each other. And she just turned 48 years old. So I just want I didn't plan. I've been writing Christian inspirational books and I didn't plan to write fiction. Well, because from this story, I fictionalized it. I changed the names, I changed the events, and I changed the locations. 
and I had never really planned to do fiction or to write a novel, but she just was just on my heart all these years wondering. How did you you meet? I mean, did you meet her or were you involved in the courts? Yes, I was appointed um, by the court to evaluate her for sentencing purposes or if we went to trial to be able to provide the jury with background information about her, the defendant, so to speak. And so in the process, I saw her eight different on eight different occasions. And in the process of evaluating her, they went ahead and reached a plea arrangement or plea deal. And so she testified state's witness against the two shooters. And then instead of having uh, a trial of her own, she agreed to take a plea and she accepted life in prison as a deal, which I didn't really view as much of a deal. But her attorney apprised me of the fact that his job was to save her life and that the deal was life in prison and that that way that she would her sentence would be not the death penalty but i i didn't really perceive that with my testimony about her background and limitations that she would have ever received the death penalty but that's what he said that his job was to save her life and so she and she accepted it and one of the shooters was executed in 2012 and the other one is serving life and the other girl involved is serving life. So it turned out that four of them ended up being sentenced, being tried and sentenced back in the 1993s. It's sad and fascinating at the same time. So The Christmas Story is your novel, and you call yes. it, it's, um, but it's based on a true story. Based on this true story but fictionalized. I changed the characters, their dynamics, and and things like that. But because I'm 75 years old, I was able to draw on my experiences and create these these characters that really do not resemble those that were a part of this downtown posse, as they called them. I created an African character from Zambia, And that isn't true, but I was in Zambia on a mission trip, and I knew all about this village and this farm, and so it was very easy for me to create that character. I created uh, another character, well, three of them really, saying they spent time on Hilton Head Island all summer one year, and that's because I have spent lots of time on Hilton Head Island, so I could develop those characters easily, but they're not true. Let me take that apart a little bit. How was it that you were in Zambia? Um, My husband and I, in 2003, went on a mission trip with our church from Dayton, Ohio, and we were on a farm helping. The men were renovating the farmhouse, and the women were assisting in any way. And because I was a psychologist, Uh, the um, missionary wife, Rachel, she was like the medicine lady to this small village on the other side of the river of her farm. So she took me over there because these these old grandparents thought that their six-year-old granddaughter was demon-possessed, and actually she suffered from uh, epilepsy. By, By me writing a letter to a clinic, 
they were able to secure medical help and medication for this child. So it just took the recommendation of a PhD or of a, an MD. And so I served that purpose. So it, it was rewarding that this- I was just gonna say, how rewarding for you. You yes. have a fascinating background. And, and the fact you. that you have been at Hilton Head and been at Zambia, it's really a good way to make for a rich story. Yes, thank you. I also mingled it with a romance because, I, as I said, I was widowed at 49. So I met Dan, my husband now of 23 years next month, and he was a young widower and a judge introduced us. And the judge was Dan's childhood friend from the Dayton area, whereas I said I, I was a transplant from Toledo. And the judge knew me professionally from the courts. So... Dan and I married, and um, so the love story part of this this Christmas slings is the first six dates that Dan and I had. Uh, so I love the, that. Yes, because the story takes place in six weeks, so it just made sense to um, mix a little romance in there. Now, my my editor said that I don't do romance very well. Try to explain to her that we were quite practical in our 50s, but she said no. She she really had to work on some of the romance scenes for me. <laughs> she didn't think that I was very romantic. You know, she wanted you to be a, probably a little more than romantic, I imagine. Right. Well, a little I said, more explicit, yeah. I know. I'm like, this, is, this really is a novel, a Christian novel. Um, I don't want profanity, I don't want explicit sex, and I don't want graphic violence. So try writing a murder book. When was it published? Uh, in December. So, But the reason that I said that about the um, it being Christian is because the protagonist in the book, her name is Angel Morgan, so I'll just use that. When she was nine, she and her little brothers were getting on a bus after school and going to a Wednesday night church program. Her mother didn't even know about it, but they, anyhow, the children went. So they were first introduced to Bible stories and having a solid dinner and stuff like that. And then when they got home, I'll give you a little preview. The police were there. And so her stepfather was arrested for drugs or something, and her mother fled with them. And so she said, I think Jesus stayed with the church. You know, so through the book, I just made little comments that, um, that she, coming from her, like when two of the friends were shot, she, she was like, I guess God really is alive because she was spared, you know. So it was just little things like that. And then actually she told, she wrote me recently that a month ago she was baptized in prison. So she's, she's helping women. She feels that God has a purpose for her life. She uh, facilitates Celebrate Recovery, which is like a Christian AA 12-step program. She sews flags. That's their, um, uh, they must have a contract. The prison must have a contract. She she and the other women sew flags all day, and she loves it because she stays busy, and she scares these young women straight because they're in there for minor charges like prostitution or drugs, and they see what poor choices can result in, like a life sentence. So she she's pretty she's doing pretty well, but her health is she's struggling a little bit. Forty eight years old, and 
sleeping on a really thin mattress for 26 years. So you can imagine that. Is there any opportunity for her ever to get, get out? I, I, I don't think so. But that the, but fictionally speaking, I'm bringing her out in my sequel, which is going to be called ah. The Summer Slayings. And so I'm going to bring her out. I'm going to have. Don't, don't, no spoiler here. No, I want yeah. to remind you, Phyllis, no spoiler here, but there yeah. is a sequel. Going to bring her out, yeah. So this has stayed with you all these years until just last, when, just last December. That's a, that, how did you manage? Did you write all of those years or did it just nag at you? I, I wasn't corresponding with her until after I wrote the book. And then I, I knew where she was and I, I found her and I said to her, you probably don't remember me, but I was uh, called upon to evaluate you for sentencing purposes or what have you. And she said, you're right. I don't remember you. She could have lied. She could have said, I remember you well. You were so kind to me. She said, you're right. I don't remember you, but I don't remember much about that time in my life. So she was, I thought she was honest. So we started corresponding. It's, it's an email system through the prison. And then I found my notes. Actually, just like a month ago, I found the notes. I had forgotten. I was with her eight times. So no wonder she was on my mind. It wasn't a simple two, three step process. So you found the notes after you finished the book. Yes, I just found them. Do you continue to be satisfied with the way in which you wrote the novel? I fictionalized the novel. Yes, yes. Uh, so, yes. I, I, and, and from the emails from her, I realized that so there are different people in her life that I, that I wrote about that weren't in her life. And then there were other people similar that were in her life. So it's a, it's a toss up, but um you know, it's not like she was a really nice girl back then, but she was a product of her okay. childhood abuse, yeah. many men in her mother's life and so on. So she made poor choices because she wanted to be loved. And that's my opinion. take a moment to tell you about the next few episodes of In the Know podcast show. I will be interviewing in the next few weeks Valerie Francis. Now Valerie Francis is an author and a certified story grid editor. She has published fiction for both women, love stories for busy women that is, and children, middle grade fantasy, and is currently working on her first thriller. As a bona fide story nerd, her passion for the craft of storytelling led her to become a certified story grid editor in 2017. Her nonfiction credits include Story Grid Guide to Bram Stoker's Dracula, publication date to be announced, and regular articles for the Fundamental Fridays column on Sean Coyne's Story Grid website. I listen to the Story Grid podcasts nearly every day, and Valerie is one of the roundtablers. So she's involved in podcasting every Friday for the Story Grid roundtablers. It's a, such an honor and treat to have her on the podcast show. I'm also going to be interviewing Lawrence Martin. Now, I met Lawrence 
at the villages in Florida in February when I spoke on podcasting. He's eager, and I'm eager, for him to, uh, uh, quote, appear on the In the Know podcast show. Now, he's a retired physician, and he writes in different genres. He has awards from the Florida Writers Association for short stories and novels, and his novels are The Boy Who Dreamed Mount Everest, which is a middle-grade fiction, and Liberty Street, a novel of late Civil War Savannah historical fiction. He's the past president of the Writers League of the Villages in Florida. It's an honor to have both of them interviewing on In the Know podcast show Please stay tuned for specific dates. Did you struggle a lot writing this book? Well, I had a lot of fun writing this book when I got my head out of the tragedy of it, you know, because I put all my friends in there. Because I was doing this romance, I was able to put all my friends in there, my friends now, by using their first names and not their last or whatever and giving them a little role. This one judge, and she, I just got a, a message from her that she just bought the book because I, I told her she was a compassionate judge in my book. And she wrote me back. She is a judge in Dayton. And she said, well, that's not that's not a characterization that very many people around here would have. Thank you very much. (laughs) I had a lot of fun. And the the judge that introduced us, he lives here at the Villages, Florida, you know, 900 miles from where we were. So people have come on down here that we knew up there. The state highway patrolman in the book that arrests them, I actually interviewed my friend. He and my girlfriend. They've been together since high school. They've been married 50 some years and he was a state highway patrolman. So to know how to write about the arrest, I had talked to him. So when I said to him, what name do you want? And he said, tell me again what I did in your book. I said, well, you arrested them without incident. He said, oh, I want my real name. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I put their real names and she selected him in high school for his football She's very witty. Uh, down here, we are blessed with such good friends, large group of good friends, because no one has family. Everyone is from Michigan or Wisconsin or Ohio, you know, and so you become family. So we have different little pockets of friends here at the villages, and some of them I knew as a girl, some of them lived in my hometown, and we didn't even know it until we relocated here. And that sort of thing. So I, I put about 15 people <laughs> in, in the book with fake names. Like a lot of it was fun, but then the tragedies were not fun. You know, I moved it to Toledo from Dayton because I grew up in Toledo and I knew the buildings and everything. put my father in it. My father was a tavern owner in Toledo, and he used to support the orphanage by sending the kids to the circus and and collecting money in a jar on his bar in a, for their Christmas and things like that. So I put him with a, a fake name 
and of course he's long since been deceased. So it was it was fun doing it. But this this next book, you asked me for a title for a sequel. So I played golf this morning, and I was at lunch with eleven girlfriends. And I said, we need a sequel name by three o'clock this afternoon. So they selected the sequel name, which is The Summer Slayings. Ah, so they, that's great. Is that cute? So it they, is good. And you, it's a, the, you have a village of writers. It takes a village to write a book. I'm also writing another Christian inspirational book, and my son publishes those for me. He's a music professor in California, and uh, he grew up in Ohio, of course, Centerville, Ohio, which was not far from Hamilton, by the way. And um, he went to graduate school in Los Angeles, and they don't come back to Ohio when they do grad school in California and married a California girl. Well, he's a music professor, and he teaches sound mixing, and he writes textbooks and things. So he does my nonfiction for me. And we did uh, Worry, Fret, and Fear No More, which is a six-week uh, plan to o eliminate the habit of worrying and overcome fear. And it can be used as a six-week course or Bible study. I use it out at Casa Hope with my, my men that are at the halfway house. We do six weeks. There's a Bible verse, my commentary, and then questions for the reader every day. And then the second book, Creating Balance and Purpose in Your Life, I teach that after the first book to them. And that one is for anyone that wants to find more joy and meaning in this season of their life. So the third book, I was a keynote speaker recently at a mega church, Presbyterian church, and they asked me to speak on Be a Beacon of Light. And then I did the nine fruit of the spirit, and then uh, developing those characteristics will reflect Jesus. And so that was a big retreat that I just did. So I think I'm going to do my third little um, inspirational book, Become a Beacon of Light. And then I already have the outline for the nine fruits of the spirit. And then, so I'll just do a little book uh, at the same time. And that way, I can do a couple of intense days on the novel and then write something sweet and light and encouraging on a day. Well, you are obviously very prolific. Did you publish, self-publish, or did you go with an agent for your book? My editor um, put it on, you know, KDP on the on Amazon as paperback and as an ebook, And so she did it all, the formatting, layouting, and edit copying she did all of it and uh for the for the murder book and put it on amazon my son did the nonfiction books i just sent them to him and he formatted and laid out and we selected some colors for the 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 covers they're they're very basic whereas the um, murder book the cover really captures attention I mean, I was at a writer's expo, like you sometimes have on Amelia Island, but you probably call it something else. It was sponsored by Writers League of the Villages. And the, my cover really captured attention because the Christmas slings was in red. And um, they, 
people would go by and they'd say, well, we're going to go through all the others and we'll be back. And I would think to myself, yeah, right. And they did come back. That cover just captured their attention. Do you have any recommendations for those who have a story to tell? Well, I think you have to prioritize your life because what I did, we moved to the villages and then I worked at Bonefish Grill for four and a half years. So I left to write books. I decided that I was going to prioritize writing every day but Sunday. So two hours a day each morning, I sacrificed anything else I might have been participating in to be sure that I got the two hours in. And I didn't know where I was going exactly. And I actually used index cards, the little index cards. And that's how I began writing. And but or go to a coffee shop. I've, I spent a lot of time in the Barnes and Noble, the cafe there, Starbucks cafe. I spent time in Panera. I spent time, you know, in the regular Starbucks because when you're home and the dryer buzzes and you think that there's something that you need to do, it distracts you from your writing. And then I would say to research. Uh, if there are areas that you're interested in writing about, but you want to um, fact check, is that a good term, um, yeah. what, what you're writing about, then research. I, I went to the library. I went, I Googled. <laughs> I did all kinds of things. I, I used the Bible. And I used six different translations of the Bible when I was doing my, my inspirational books. The biggest thing is just making a commitment to yourself and prioritizing putting one foot in front of the other. When I wrote at home, we have a, a modest ranch that has a sunroom in the back that's built in, not like a lanai with a sliding door. And it looks out on a pasture on a 40-acre farm down below us. And so I sat at a high-top like bistro table with my little computer. And I did a lot of writing and thinking and thinking and writing, just looking out at nature in the back room. So how long did it take you? Six months. The first that's book. That's great. That's really great. Right. Worry, Fret, and Fear No More took six months. Um, creating Balance and Purpose took six months. And The Christmas Slangs actually took six six months. And it's another 100 pages more than the little books. But um, costs you money to have a good editor. And you have to look at what your purpose is. Is this something you want to leave to your family? Is it something that you just need to to, to tell, maybe use um, confidants, your partner, your spouse, a, a good girlfriend. You could have an accountability partner that helps you stay focused. If you if three days goes by and you haven't been writing and they might say something or you might ask them to hold you accountable, you know, keep you on idea. track. So what I'm hearing yeah. you say is you need to prioritize. You need to be disciplined in your prioritizations. You need to find spots to write where you're not going to be interrupted. And sometimes that's not at home. Sometimes it's in coffee shop or where you're less likely to run into anyone and do your research and continue on, maybe talk with your friends so that they can keep you on your target. 
That's, yes. Those are great ideas, Phyllis, really great ideas. Now we're at the end of this interview, we're running out of time. And so have you started your next novel yet, or you just have a title for it? I have a title. I have the case in mind. I have not put anything down uh, in writing. I mean, you start a long time before you write, I think, in my opinion. I And others may feel differently. But uh, so I've been carrying this case of a, a woman who this is going to be a battered women's case where some where she shoots her batterer so it's a battered women's syndrome case mm-hmm. and usually those cases are very difficult to prove self-defense in any manner because you're they the perpetrator usually isn't shot in the throes of the violence. It's when something snaps in the w- wife or husband or and an opportunity presents itself, they shoot somebody or... That's that's already sounding riveting, riveting. I'm looking forward to reading that one. This has been so much fun. I'm, I'm so happy, you know, I was happy to meet you at the Villages and I'm so happy. Inspiring work, Phyllis. Thank you so much. Thank you, Diane. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to support In the Know, you can do so by subscribing and sharing In the Know with your family and friends. You can like this episode. You can leave a comment and even add a rating. Your support is very important to our success. And thank you so much for listening. See you next time on In the Know.